We're actually uh, doing a series right now talking through what it means to be a person who follows Jesus. And uh, Jesus himself, uh, when he walked on earth, actually used the word disciple uh, to describe uh, people who follow the life and the teachings of Jesus, people who do the things and uh, believe the things and live the way that Jesus lived. Uh, and as we uh, walk through that, there's some of the things that we just kind of think that everybody knows. Like we all know what it is to uh, like be a fan of Jesus, but to actually like follow Jesus and say that he is everything to me, that he is the decider in my life or the, um, the law in my life or the king in my life, uh, sometimes we get a little distracted or we begin to think that uh, we believe or we follow, but then we read the scripture and find out we were in error or we're moving the wrong direction or we're off track a little bit and those kinds of things. And so this series is kind of uh, helping us grow spiritually and giving us the ability to help other people grow spiritually. We really don't think you can lead people past... Uh, <laughs> they're cooking lunch out there and it's about to smell awesome up here. And so this, these people aren't going to get anything out of the sermon. They're going to get a lot out of lunch. Uh, <laughs> there is, uh, it's impossible to lead people past where you're able to go yourself. And so if we're asked by Jesus in Matthew 28 to make disciples, uh, then we need to be able to be disciples in order to help make disciples. And so that's kind of where we're going and that's where we're talking. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it is to be humble today and what it is to uh, live in humility today. If you read the front of your bulletin, it's talking about being humbly submitted. I want to read this little passage from the Bible for you. Um, it says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, everyone, elder and younger, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time, and cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. It's one of those passages that talks about being humble, and humble being, uh, humility being part of your character, like put on humility, like it's, it's your clothes, it's your identifier, it's, the, it's like a permanent costume that you wear all the time, uh, which is different than some of you, but... Uh, it is, it's not supposed to be something that we do, it's supposed to be something that we are. And it explains it in almost like a, like a Pinterest or Instagram kind of way, like humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. And, and we all know because we're not very humble, the due time is now. Uh, but uh, we want to cast all our anxiety on him because God cares for us. It's this really kind of pretty picture of humility uh, but I think sometimes getting to humility is a bit of a difficult journey. Uh, I, it's like um, we would give out prizes for humility, but if you, if you showed anyone the trophy, we'd have to take it away. I'll give you a second there, because it's not... All right. We should have had some candy before church, everyone. I want to read you this story of a, a guy named Peter from the Scripture. Peter was one of Jesus' original disciples. The Bible uses the word apostles sometimes. One of the original 12 guys that Jesus called to follow him. And Peter is um, like the patron saint of people who talk before they think. And uh, which is probably, I'm, he's probably going to be frustrated when I get to heaven and meet him because I like to make fun of Peter because he puts himself out there a lot. 
but it is, uh, if, if you're the kind of person who enjoys life because it's an adventure and you have the scars to prove it, Peter is your apostle, all right? And this is a little story from the night that Jesus had, uh, it was called the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus, then, he was actually crucified on a Friday in the morning, uh, but on the Thursday night, he got together with his disciples in the upper room, if you've heard of this story at all. Uh, it's a Thursday night, and he gathers his disciples around, and they eat together, and they talk together, and they sing together, and they kind of have this last meal together. It's this last moment. And there's this strange sense among the disciples, like they don't know what's going to happen the way Jesus knows what's going to happen, and, and, so, and the way we know what's going to happen. But they kind of have this sense that this is big, like this is a big deal. Like this is different than every other year when we would come to Jerusalem for the Passover and eat together. Jesus seems to have a different kind of an attitude or a different kind of a spirit, like there's something going to happen. And so Jesus is uh, talking to them. It'll be on the screen so you can uh, follow along if, if your app doesn't work or if your Bible takes forever to open. Uh, they finish their meal and they're walking out. Uh, they're going up on this mountain where they're gonna, Jesus is going to have some prayer time. And this is what Jesus says to the 12 guys. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus is telling them, things are about to go bad for him, and all of you are going to bail on me. And he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Peter says the thing that most people might think a little bit, but Peter doesn't think. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, so before the sun comes up, you will disown me three times. And Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And, the, and all the others said the same. It's kind of a fun moment. All of us have a Peter in our life. Like if Jesus says to us, all of you are going to fall away from me. Things are about to go bad for me and all of you are going to leave. All of us are either a Peter or we have a Peter that we trust. And this Peter will be the guy who says the thing, and, and then Jesus says, no, nope, you're going to deny me before the sun rises. And we say, nope, Jesus, you're wrong. And the other people say, yeah, we're with him. I don't want to be the one telling Jesus he's wrong, but I definitely would like the prize if that's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like some of you got in trouble in school. Some of you dared the kid who would get in trouble, Right? <laughs> Some of you were like, I'm going to throw this in class. And others made the thing and said, I wonder if this flies, right? And you knew who to ask. And I got in trouble for you, you jerk. But, but there is this, uh, Peter has this conversation with Jesus where Jesus is telling them, you're all going to fall. And Peter actually responds rather boldly and shows a bit of his pride because he compares himself to others right away. He says, even if all these jokers fall away, not me. Like he's saying, there are 12 disciples here, all chosen by Jesus, all picked to be Jesus' apostles. This is a big deal, but Jesus, listen, I stand out. I won't fail. And then Jesus says, and points at Peter specifically, and says, your failure will be worse than the failure of the other guys. 
And Peter says, Jesus, you're off your rocker, right? Like you had too much wine at dinner, which is a bold thing to say to Jesus in a sermon, but there is, <laughs> there is this kind of pushback that Peter gives. And it's like, listen, all these guys, Jesus, I don't trust them either, just like you're saying. But me, I'm the man. Even if it comes to dying for you, Jesus, I will die for you. Now, some of you did Sunday school and you know how this is going to end. Others, you've never seen this movie and you're kind of thinking you know how it's going to end. Like, obviously, Jesus is going to be right because he's the good guy in all the stories. But the way it goes down is worse than you could possibly imagine. They go and continue up to, into the garden and they pray and the disciples are there and Jesus is praying and the Roman and temple authorities show up to arrest Jesus and the disciples all take off, like scatter, right? And there's kind of a kerfuffle, and Peter does some stupid things at the little fight there, and, and Jesus kind of fixes it because Peter's a bit of a dork, and, and Peter's like, no, see, Jesus, I said that I would die for you, and, and then they march off to be arrested, and Peter follows. And they walk down, and they hold a trial for Jesus. It's actually an illegal trial under their law because they were only allowed to have trials during daylight hours according to the law, religious law of the day, but they held Jesus's at night before the sun even came up so they could kind of shuffle this under the carpet. And Peter's kind of there. And the way that uh, we have a very organized system and we're, we're very organized people in the ancient Near East, it wasn't like you didn't get in a line and wait and go straight through. You just kind of went. And there would just be groups of people in places that just wherever. And so there'd be these fires outside of the Sanhedrin, which would be like the religious courthouse. And because it was the religious authorities who were contemning Jesus. And Peter's out there and there's kind of fires around and they're warming themselves because they're used to the heat in Israel. But that night, you know, it gets really cold, like living in a high desert. That's how the, those kind of things go. And so Peter's hanging out, out in the courtyard. And uh, he's kind of wants to know what's going on with Jesus, and he's sitting there like, it's just like I said. It's just like I said. All those jokers took off, right? Like all of them scattered, like Jesus said. And I may have scattered, but I came back, right? Like I took off just to be safe, but now I'm here, and Jesus is in there, and I'm the man, and I'm here, and I am the one that Jesus can trust, and, and, and I am better than these other guys. And while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I do not, uh, don't understand, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said, and he went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Which I'll explain in a second. And he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed for the second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, he will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter 
who is the man by his own claims, who has enough pride in himself and in his following of Jesus to say, I am number one disciple, these are the rest. And we kind of recognize that. The Catholic Church recognizes Peter as the first pope. He was the leader of the leaders. He was the guy kind of, and you see this in the very, very early church, Peter carried a lot of weight in what he said and the way that he acted, and he had gifts and abilities, and he wanted people to understand that he had gifts and abilities. And he stands out in front, and then he's following Jesus, and he's in the courtyard, and I, I just love this because it's a servant girl. Like, I'm the man, and, I, and in their society, it was very, very class-driven, and you understood who was a servant and who wasn't, and who was royalty and who wasn't. And this servant girl in a male-dominated society comes out and says, I think you're one of those guys. A servant girl breaks Peter. Like, if, as if it's not humiliating enough to be humbled by Jesus' prophecy that you will deny me, it's a little servant girl who triggers Peter's denial. <laughs> And he says, no, that's not me. And she sees him again and says, like, guys, I, th I think this is one of those guys. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus who, right? Like, I know a guy named Jesus that does my gardening, but that's it. <laughs> and Peter's friends are like, that's racist, yo. <laughs> but Peter was panicking. He didn't know what to do. And then they say, I think you're one of them because you're a Galilean. Which is a great thing because so, like, you don't catch this in the original language, but Galileans were country. And he's in the city. Galileans talked like they were country. Like Galileans didn't move their tongues like they're from Texas or Mississippi or Alabama or South Georgia or worse yet, Louisiana. And if you've ever lived down there, and I got to live down there, and I, I couldn't, I actually couldn't use the drive-thru. I had an argument with them at Dairy Queen because she was telling me the price, and I kept, I did not want nuts on my Sunday. And she told me the price, and I said, no, 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 I don't want any nuts. And she told me the price again, and I said, no, no nuts, no nuts on my Sunday. And my wife, who understands the accent, just starts laughing and doesn't save me, just leaves me. <laughs> And it was kind of an awesome experience because I drove up and, and then, you know, I'm permanently the loser who can't understand English. <laughs> A small town, North Georgia. But when, we, when Peter would speak, he would sound country. And so when he comes into the city and he's talking, the people say, no, 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 we recognize you. You talk like you're from Galilee, so you're a Galilean, just like those guys that came down here with Jesus. So, you know, the inference is that Jesus talked country, which is fantastic, because when you get to heaven and Jesus talks like he's from the deep south, it's going to be so confusing, right? Like, you think Jesus is this educated guy, and Jesus is like, y'all come back now, you hear, right? And <laughs> open that window, it's getting hot in here, right? Like, it is, that's horrible. Like, that's horrible. Like, if I was down south, they would not say that's a good accent. But up here, everyone thinks I can do it. So Jesus, that's a side note that Jesus is country. That's a whole other book that we should write. But uh, Peter talks, and they recognize his voice, and he denies Jesus. 
the most proud guy, the most proud follower of Jesus is humiliated the most. To the point where he begins cursing at people or just calling down curses like the leader. So, you know, like if this was today, we don't call down curses on people. We just use curse words on people. And this is why this scene normally doesn't make the movies, right? Because Peter would begin to speak like, like it's an HBO show and, and everybody would be like, whoa, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wasn't with Jesus. And Peter just loses it. And then the rooster crows and all of his sin of pride, just like everything that Peter does here, his denial, his self-preservation, his calling down curses, it's all because he's trying to maintain this image of himself that he projected because he compared himself to others and found himself to be better than them which is pride, which is the opposite of humility, and he ends up humiliated. And he ends up just weeping because the man he loves most, Jesus, the person he's closest to in the world, has predicted that he would bail on him and betray him and everything would go very, very bad, very, very quickly, and he was right. Peter understands humility not because it's something he worked on or it's a gift he had or it was a character trait like some people are just naturally humble peter was the opposite and he understood humility because god was willing to humiliate him so that he could be the person that god wanted him to be it's a classic preacher line that we choose humility or humiliation you either humble yourself or someone else will humble you. Peter's actually forgiven by Jesus in this amazing, amazing scene at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus comes back and actually forgives Peter and, and actually reinstates him as the leader. Because the other disciples would be like, man, I might have run away, but I did not deny him, right? And then have a cursing fit, right? Like, it wasn't me in the scene that rated this movie R. It was you, right? And there's this group of disciples there and Peter is there and Jesus comes back and P Jesus actually reinstates Peter as the leader and says Peter it's this it's what the gospel is it's what the message of Jesus is is that you're a failure you're an embarrassment to God and so I choose you and so I love you like I don't know if you've been there I have definitely been there where I am an embarrassment to everything that I say I believe and everything that I say I value. And I do this frequently. Where I say one thing or I, I honestly believe one thing or my desire is one way and my behaviors and my thoughts and my real actions don't match those things. And it frustrates me. And it's humiliating to me. And it humbles me. And Peter is humbled by God in order that God can raise him up and use him. And Peter becomes the, the leader of the very early church and a leader in the movement and a leader of, of the leaders. And he helps the gospel spread all over the world. He has arguments and disagreements with people that they work out so that the gospel can move forward. He's one of the very early people to take the gospel to non-Jews. 
against his own desires. Like Peter gets this call from God and it's this incredible thing to share the gospel with these non-Jewish people and he's like, I don't think I should be doing this, but I make a pattern of doing things I shouldn't do and so I'm the guy for this job. And Peter lives his life and when he denies Jesus, it's probably the year, the best guess is like the year 28. Uh, like A.D. 28. Jesus is so amazing, he was born like between 3 and 5 B.C., right? Like 3 or 5 years before Christ Jesus was born. Uh, it's actually some new archaeological discoveries and we don't want to change the calendar because we already partied like it was 1999 and we don't want to go back. <laughs> but when Peter lives his life around the year 28, this all happens, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus... In the late 50s, early 60s, Peter writes a letter. And we've included them in the Bible. It's called 1 Peter. And then he writes another one that we creatively titled 2 Peter. And in this letter, he's writing, and this is what he says. We'll put it on the screen. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. It takes a verse that seems like a Pinterest verse or a Pinterest section of Scripture, a really cute Scripture, and when you realize who wrote that and how much humility was taught to him by God, in the most embarrassing way. It makes these words have weight. This isn't just some random pastor or random priest saying, hey, everyone be humble. Uh, it's a good idea. Like, in the, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. It isn't a theological statement as much as I want it to be. Like, if you're, God opposes the proud. So if you're a proud person, like, God actually opposes those people. People who are proud, God like God is against them, but he shows favor to the humble. I want it to be just a theological statement, but then when I read the story of Peter and see him weeping in the corner because of the failure in his life towards his closest friend, towards Jesus, his Savior, I find myself in the same place, and these words carry so much more weight. And then Peter commands us to humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. To understand who God is and understand who you are so that God may lift you up in due time. And if we're constantly lifting ourselves up or showing ourselves up or stamping forward and saying, Jesus, all these other jokers are idiots, but I am here. Like I am the man. Jesus, even if it's to death, I am good. And you look around at the people around you and you say, well, I'm no Mother Teresa, I'm no Billy Graham, but I'm a lot better Christian than these jokers. And Jesus, I will stick with you. I am the one. God opposes that attitude, that feeling, that, those words. God actually stands against People who compare, who lift themselves up through comparing others or insulting others to put them down so that they feel better about themselves. And the reason isn't, it isn't that God hates you. 
It isn't that God's mad at those people. It's that God wants to lift people up. But he can't lift you up if you're spending all your time lifting yourself up. If you're spending all your time showing how great you are, God can't show how great you are because you've already stolen all of God's thunder because you think you're God. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And then this connection of don't be proud and cast all your anxiety on cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. It's the anxiety that Peter felt when that servant girl asked him, are you one of them? I think you're one of them. And the people heard his accent and said, you are definitely one of them. And then his anxiety got the best of him and he just went on this temper tantrum cussing tirade. That's anxiety. And I know there's, um, this isn't speaking to like, biological conditions that cause anxiety. This is just speaking to the anxiety that comes from pride. Because when you spend all your time lifting yourself up, you start getting nervous that somebody's going to notice behind the curtain how much you're propping yourself up. And if you can look behind the curtain and just see, oh, it's God who's lifting me up, you're there. You're understanding. Instead of having these aspirations of greatness, you have an aspiration of following a great God. Instead of being uh, the best, or instead of being super proud, or instead of comparing yourself to the other people and saying, I'm in a good place because I stand out. When we get to heaven, I'll be up close in the VIP seats. Well, these people that are sinners will be back there on the lawn. <laughs> and when you actually understand what God is trying to do, He's trying to lift you up. But if you spend all your time pushing to the front, He can't give you the grace of bringing you to the front. And we've seen both situations. You've been in situations where either you or someone else pushed their way to the position of prominence. Those aren't good shows. And we've seen situations where someone who's at the back is lifted up by someone else's grace and brought to the front. And we love that show every single time. It can be as shallow as a Today Show makeover for a tired mom. And we're like, that's, that's what it is, right? But when we see someone pushing for their own makeover, we're like, oh, she must have got plastic surgery. <laughs> We don't like that show. We like the show of other people lifting you up. But the only way other people can lift you up is if you're willing to have humility. Following Jesus is not about being awesome. It's not about being the best in the room. I use the words all the time. It's not about being the best Christian here at the church. It really is about being the worst one. If you were here last week, we kind of talked about this. That one of you, and you're, if you felt like you were the worst last week, you're glad that it's like Halloween Sunday because there's so many people here. Halloween Sunday. That, I bet you that's the first time that's been said. <laughs> what is that? Uh, if you're a conservative, it's Harvest Party Sunday. <laughs> it's Lying to Ourselves Sunday. All right.
But if the goal is to be lifted up by God, if the goal is to be lifted up by Jesus, then in order to be lifted up, we need to humble ourselves. We've got to stop lifting ourselves. We've got to start saying, here's my people. We've got to stop staying, standing up front and instead staying, standing back and saying, all right, Jesus, if we're all going to deny you, we're all in this together. And we're all going to deny you together. And we're all going to suck at following you together. It's a totally different story if Peter doesn't step forward. It's a totally different story if instead of stepping forward and said, Peter says, look at all these guys, Jesus. Even if these guys fall away, I won't. If Peter steps forward and says, all right, Jesus, all these guys are going to fall away, so I'm going to fall away with them and kind of help out back there. You're on your own, buddy, and walks back. It's a totally different story. We step up and we compare ourselves with the people who didn't, that's pride. When we step up, in order to turn around and bring those people forward, that's grace. And following Jesus is about grace and humility because that's what God can work with to make you even more great than you can ask or imagine. Let me pray for us. Let me, let's stand and I'll pray for us, all right? God, in this room are many of us who are awesome at different things like significantly more awesome than the people around us. And God, I ask that you would forgive us in a graceful way of the times when we compare ourselves to others in order to feel better about ourselves. Forgive us for putting others down in order to lift ourselves up. Not because that's bad, we know that but because it actually takes away the grace that you want to extend to us. God, change our hearts in such a way that we actually prefer your grace to our own pride. Forgive us for the times when we step forward and we point at the jokers who didn't and we say, so you know, Jesus, I'm the best one here. And that comes in less blunt ways in my life and less blunt ways in all of our lives. And forgive us for that. And then I pray your grace would keep us from doing that anymore. Even more so, God, I pray that you would allow us to be forgiven when we continue to screw up and not be defined by our messing up or our pride or our screw-ups, but be defined by the grace that our God gives us. I'm not perfect I'm never going to be perfect. I might stink at following Jesus for a very long time, but I'm not dependent on my effort because of the grace and the forgiveness of my God. May your name be lifted up, Jesus, in our lives because of your work, not ours. Amen.